This is the PowerShell Podcast, a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. The PowerShell Podcast. It's all about PowerShell and the PowerShell community. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm the uh, the fountain of mediocrity, Jordan, with superstar co-host, Andrew Plaw. And today we have a special guest. Uh, do you prefer Barb or Barbara? Uh, Barbara's fine. Okay. Barbara I, I don't care. You can make anything of it. <laughs> anything? <laughs> I, I just wasn't sure. I've seen it. I've seen it uh, listed as both, but uh, whichever one works, I guess. And you, on top of being a PowerShell MVP, a, a GitHub star, you also help put together the PowerShell Conference EU. Yes. Yeah. Part of the organization for the first time this year. So I'm really excited. That that is fantastic. That always feels like the next level. Like I'm struggling even to 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 speak at these events. I can't imagine the next step up where you're putting it all together and, and corralling speakers. I must say it's I feel like it's sometimes it's just happening to me. Like it was uh, not that much my ambition. I was like, okay, I'm gonna speak at events and then it was yeah, but do you want to help organize stuff? And uh, yeah, sure, that sounds like fun. And it can be a bit stressful, really, especially in the end, but it really helps if you're doing it with other people. Like if you're doing it together and you get to to have so much fun on uh, deciding on locations and promoting stuff and having the CFP and everything that's surrounding it. It's all one big adventure. Awesome. We'll have to uh, hear from you afterwards and hear how it feels after seeing everyone together and kind of getting to actually experience it. Because uh, would this be your first event you've helped organize? Uh, the first that's this big. I have organized, helped organize with some events. I've been on some content teams. I uh, run two user groups myself together with Jaap Brasser, uh, one of which is the Dutch PowerShell user group. So uh, I do that kind of stuff. But I'm curious to see how it is after the event, because a lot of organizers I see are always very tired <laughs> when everything is done. So at the uh, summit in uh, 2022, I had the, at the end of it, I had the chance to sit down at the, like for breakfast at the bar with a lot of people that did the organizing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've seen a group of people that were so exhausted yet sat, <laughs> like they were all happy with what they yeah. accomplished, but everyone was they were uh, they were done that was a lot of work <laughs> yeah and there's always stuff going wrong i think it's so much better though now than during the <clears throat> big years of the pandemic where really the organizers then they were really worn out and i have done uh, we did an ignite viewing party in the netherlands and it was right in between lockdowns. I don't know how we made it work. It was the first big event that we did. We had 100 people there. And it was right in between. Afterwards, it all went bad again. So we were so happy it was right in between. That's an extra stress factor. <laughs> Are you giving any talks or planning to submit or just organizing? Because I, I know that most organizers that I see, they they don't try and juggle both. Yeah, but but I love talking. <laughs> I fair. love giving talks. So hopefully we're we're gonna uh, do the speaker selection, and hopefully there'll still be some room to also do a session. Because awesome. yeah, that's it's just so much fun to do, and it's a fun community. So it's we had a great feedback last year with the Q and A's, and there were a lot of questions, and yeah, 
it's so much fun. So I hope to also do a session. Good luck. If if you pull it off, uh, I would be interested because that's that's a lot. Like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm always uh, um, in hindsight. I'm wondering what did I get myself into? How did this happen? <laughs> How did you initially get started in the community? Maybe it was the PowerShell community. Maybe it was a community before that. How did you kind of get started? Uh, I've always been in a little bit of a cross of PowerShell and Azure and infrastructure as code. And I started with my blog. So uh, I just started writing blog posts. I made a blog that was right after Ignite in 2018. Wow, long time ago. So right then I decided, uh, I had the idea to run a blog for quite a while and I had some ideas for posts and at one point I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna start posting blog posts. And I set myself a schedule like, I'm going to keep this schedule and uh, because I know a lot of people start a blog and then they write two or three posts and then never look back. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm going to see if I can make this work. And I wrote a blog post every two weeks. And um, this year I'm taking a big break, but I've lasted for like two and a half years to do that. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> intense sometimes, but... I did that for like half a year before I started looking at speaking opportunities and stuff like that. I needed that time to uh, get the courage up to do talks. Every two weeks is an aggressive schedule because at a certain point it's like, it's even finding out what you want to write about almost becomes a challenge at that point. I've never once had an issue to think of what I should write about. For some reason or another, I had a big list of inspiration and I was never wondering what to write about. It just came along and it was just stuff that was happening at work, uh, questions people were asking me. Uh, I wrote a lot about pipelines and Azure DevOps and later GitHub, and then you can do it all again in GitHub. So the technology keeps renewing. So there's always something to write about, but it was a real challenge to find the time to write the blog posts or the solutions you're writing about. That sometimes meant uh, being grumpy and spending one day of your weekend writing. And uh, yeah, sometimes I was not happy about it, but I'm really happy with how long I uh, kept it going. And I still get so many views and so many uh, people who say, hey, your blog, blog post finally made me understand. And yeah, that's so cool. Do you feel like maintaining that pace of blog writing? I mean, every two weeks, that kind of, and, and for so many years, you kind of develop some serious habits around learning and sharing that. Um, did you find that as you kind of maintain that pace that occasionally you let yourself put out maybe easy posts, like here's just a quick code snippet that helped me out with maybe a paragraph or two describing it, or were they more in depth? Um, some were, uh, sometimes it was just, hey, this script I've written for myself or for a customer and you can use it too. So then it wasn't too much work, but then again, you find yourself writing about how you should implement the script and how you should add parameters. And it will be a long time after all, but some of them really took less time. Some of them are pretty in depth. I did a lot of step-by-step -step guides. And that was the thing with blog, blogging that I believe is that you have a certain kind of post that just rolls out of your fingers. And step-by-step -step guides, it's a lot of taking screenshots, a lot of describing, but it's, it's really easy to write for me. 
And I've also written some posts where I'm describing as process or a learning thing or something I did. And they, those cost me so much more time and more energy because it just doesn't flow out of my fingers. So I still wrote a few of them, but it's really about finding what works best for you. And the fun thing is that you never know which one take off. Like it's always a surprise. Um, and I know still one of my most popular blog posts is one I wrote at a point where I was like, okay, I have nothing new to write about. So I'll look at my list of things that I'm meant to write about, things that I have as backup subjects. And I just took one, wrote a blog post, and it was about um, calling APIs from PowerShell. And it became huge and it's got so many hits still. I'm like, okay, people really needed that. I didn't realize that. <laughs> That's a good one with APIs. It's something that goes, it can impact so many things. It's not just like a, I don't know, not to go Alton Brown here, a unitasker. That's a, that's a wide, wide usage bit of information to have. It was something I was really confused about myself when I started uh when i started needing that i worked with powershell for a while but when i needed to use apis at the beginning i was really confused so i decided yeah i know i wanted that blog post and couldn't find it when i started out and it's really practical it's really like okay we're gonna call an api now and this is how we do it i, I thought it was uh interesting like you never know what's going to take off my most viewed video i've ever done was installing printers with powershell and i pushed it off for well over a year because i just Use group policy was my answer. In fact, I, I think I even started yeah. off my, that, that video with use group policy. But more views for that than anything I've ever done, and I still don't know why. I, I was... <laughs> it's so funny. Like, you never know. Apparently, so many people have that need. But printers in PowerShell. <laughs> <laughs> How long were you blogging and being consistent before you started getting that feedback from other people or until you felt like, hey, I'm actually writing something that's helping people now? I think like four to six months. And one of the big reasons was that um, I started out when uh, Azure DevOps became a web service, pretty much around that time. Uh, before that, uh, it wasn't that approachable, Azure DevOps, but now certainly it was a web service that everyone could install for free. And I wrote blog posts about deploying ARM templates through Azure DevOps. And there were actually no blog posts about that because I wrote them because I couldn't find them myself. So I invented the process and uh, I posted on Twitter and that took off uh, to the level that Microsoft accounts were retweeting it. And that was a special feeling that was like, oh my, I made it. <laughs> Microsoft thinks I do the right thing <laughs> because there's always that imposter syndrome feeling like, do I even know what I'm talking about? And then you feel like, okay, if Microsoft is retweeting it, maybe I'm doing something right here. <laughs> it makes their day when they do that. Like I know uh, Sean Wheeler and, and other, everyone on the, on the docs team wants people to, to write that kind of stuff. Like they have a whole blog format for people who don't have their own hosting and everything. And, the tools to get them started and they just need people. So I think when they see that, they're incredibly excited. They hope it takes off. That is so cool. Oh <laughs> my gosh. I can't imagine if I was just writing blogs and all of a sudden I saw Microsoft yeah. tweeting my stuff out, I'd be yeah, freaking out. I, I actually, I still have the link somewhere because they make uh, the social shortcut link. 
And I actually saved it somewhere like this is um, an MSFT link and it goes to my blog. <laughs> that is so cool. And that kind of stuff really uh, motivates you and that you get responses and people on Twitter who respond to it. And that was always my motivation to just, uh, yeah, keep going. Yeah, and it sounds like by doing that for two and a half years, you went from being unsure and not like, oh, should I blog? To blogging, to having interactions, to being developing confidence is kind of what it sounds like. By having these yeah. experiences where you're doing things and then you get the positive feedback and you're like, maybe I'm not that much of an imposter. Yeah. Did you and, feel uh, that as it happened? And how do you feel now being on the other side of it? Well, um, I think we all still get imposter syndrome once in a while and i still wonder okay am i doing this right and uh, sometimes i still need reassurance and i dealt with that uh, by acknowledging it i know for myself okay i'm feeling insecure about this blog post uh, i can feel really insecure about uh, adding tweets even if i know that there's a good chance a tweet is gonna uh, take off then i'm getting really nervous about it so I always said to myself, I can feel insecure and I can have doubts, but I cannot let it stop me. So I had uh, a set time when I would publish my blog post and publish it on Twitter. And that was the time they needed to be published. So I can't wait too long. So that was sort of my deadline. And if I felt really insecure, I would ask someone to uh, confirm for me that I wasn't saying anything weird. And I think it really helps to acknowledge this. And what really helped me was that you see the people that you admire also acknowledge that this is a thing. That they get imposter syndrome and that they're not sure of what they're doing. And that they're thinking, oh no, so everyone's going to find out and I don't know what I'm doing. And it really helped me. I really love that some of the, the bigger names in the community still do that. So yeah, the, the PowerShell community in particular is always very uplifting. The problem with imposter syndrome is by its very nature, it wants you to internalize your stress about it. Like you want to keep it internal. Like yeah. So I, I think what you said, where just by bringing it up, hey, I'm not sure about this, you're going to have at that point, that might actually be the best tool for beating it. Just be willing to talk about it just because keeping it inside, I think is where it tears you apart. He said from experience. Yeah. And it's it's so it's such a shame if it's stopping you from doing what you can do because nine of ten times it's not that it's not true what you're thinking, and even if it is, uh, it's not the end of the world. And I mean, I had that happen where I spent a whole bunch of time working on the PowerShell module, and uh, it took me so much time. And I've, I actually asked a review from from a coworker, and he was really excited. And I published it, and the first um, response was, yeah, you know this exists already, right? <laughs> and it was a huge module. I should have known, but I just had never found it. And I thought, okay, everyone's going to think I'm stupid now. And I took everyone, everything all offline, and no one remembers. So uh, I, just, I don't like the response. Deal. Yeah, the response of this, uh, that's not a helpful bit of feedback, or at least the way it's done. That's not... This exists already. Doesn't help anybody. Yeah, but it's uh, it's a thing. I've seen it happen also with people just trying to be helpful, mm -hmm. and um, it's okay because 
I was happy to take it offline at that point. So I was happy that someone said it. Okay, so I didn't need to bother for this. Really, what I wrote didn't add anything to the existing product. And I was like, okay, I'll take this offline. I'm going to write a new post. I'm going to be fine. And I was worried about people remembering it, and they didn't. And that was an important lesson. Like, it's so much bigger in your own head. Uh, do you want to give us the name so we can all remember it? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That's my little secret now. <laughs> I, I can definitely relate to that. Whenever I first started blogging, um, I would, I had Josh King. I would send my blog to him and say, hey, am I an idiot? Like, is this okay? Um, and just having that little bit of reassurance that like, hey, it, at least if it's good enough for this person who I respect a bit, it's good enough to go out. I mean, they're way cooler than I am anyway. So what's the worst that could happen? I mean, it's really Absolutely. cool to be part of a community that has that. Yeah. It's a high bar. Well, if it's good enough for Josh King, isn't. But <laughs> 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 well, it can really help just find someone you trust and be like, hey, can I just let you read this real quickly? Definitely. And if you're listening right right now, you hear us at the shill at the end, we tell you, you can email us powershell at pdq.com. We're here to help you. If you want a second opinion from us, if not, definitely recommend finding your own little circle of people who can support you and you can support each other and, and kind of having a, I've found a more inner group where like you have kind of more of a private message, maybe develop some relationship with some other people, support each other. Having that can also really, um, feel like you're not alone when you're dealing with the imposter syndrome kind of thing. Because uh, I felt very alone for a long time dealing with my imposter syndrome, just not even knowing it was a word or a thing that, that people go through. Uh, it's a very common struggle. Right. So you recently, you, you said you were taking a, not being as active on the blog, taking a bit of a break, but you recently published something brand new that uh, you're working with. Yeah, I finally found time to write a blog post. Like I was so busy and I actually I was big busy with conferences, so I'm not even ashamed, but um I wrote a blog post right after GitHub Universe. I actually wrote it at the airport when I was going home. <laughs> um on code spaces. So GitHub code spaces, they became available for everyone uh during uh, GitHub Universe. And I think it's such cool technology. So I was like, okay, now I need to write a blog post because this stuff is cool. And there's a lot of blog posts about code spaces, but not combined with PowerShell. And I especially loved it with PowerShell functions, because if you want to do stuff locally with Azure functions, so if you want to do stuff locally, you have to install a bunch of tools. But if you use code spaces, you can just say, okay, Use this code space and you don't have to install anything because it's all in your browser. So what is a GitHub code space for those that don't know? Yeah, a GitHub code space is uh, like a container that you run in the cloud. Uh, it's part of a GitHub repository or it can be. So if you have your code in uh, GitHub and you're like, okay, I want to work on this code, then instead of cloning the code to your local machine, you can say, open a code space for me. And you get like a Visual Studio Code interface, uh, but you can install stuff on there. So it's a Docker image. You can add onto it. You can add your own extensions, add your own uh, fonts and uh, color schemes. 
And for example, I created one for Azure Functions. So it has the extension, but it also has the core function tools, uh, everything like that. They're actually made available, this kind of images. I really just made a post on how to use it mostly. But this is all available. So now if I want to create a function, I can stay in my browser. I can do this on any computer. Uh, I can write the code I want, deploy it to Azure from there if I want to. So this is really helpful if your computer is not that good or if you don't have uh, complete access to your computer. But also for open source projects to know that everyone is working in the same environment. And I have been lucky because I have been working with Codespace for a while because I already had access during the preview. But now they are uh, available to anyone. So anyone can use the code spaces for like 60 hours a month. And next to having it in your repository so you don't have to install stuff, what I really like is that you can use it to learn a new language. Because I, I'm not a programmer by default, I'm not a developer, I have an IT pro background. And every time I think, oh, maybe I should try a new language, the first thing they say is, yeah, install all this stuff on your computer. And my computer becomes a mess. And then I take three lessons and decide, oh, this is not for me or I don't have time. And my computer's still a mess. But with Codespace, you can be like, okay, let's give this a try. And we'll create a user Codespace that has all the stuff already involved, uh, installed. Now, that's very cool. When I think about a developer experience and like uh, yeah. working on modules, you can really fine grain that and, and ensure that if you're contributing to a some open source project, you can make that contribution experience as seamless as possible. Yeah, wow. it's really it's really it's impressive. It works really, really well. So at initial glance, I thought the 60 hours was limiting. But when you break it down, that's two hours a day within there. You could be doing stuff at, at no cost. That's that's a significant time. Like if you're doing more than 60 hours, then you probably should be paying anyway. Yeah, and I uh, did get a reality check because I had uh, like unlimited access before and uh, you should remove your code spaces when you're done with them because the storage also adds up even if they're shut down. So uh, I uh, already learned that the hard way <laughs> and it's just like it's a container. It's supposed to be short-lived. So you do your thing and uh, you commit your stuff if you want to, and then you can just throw it away. And if you want to work again, you create a new one. That's really cool. The future is here. I love that. Yeah. The developer tools, VS Code a couple of years ago, or however long when it came out and you know, kind of seeing all the tools, and now it's in your browser from yeah. any crappy device you have. You can do whatever you need to do. I'm very excited for what this means for the future and how people can uh, take advantage of these tools. Yeah, and how great is it that it's not operating system, that the operating system doesn't matter, especially with PowerShell, because uh, I don't know if you also came from Windows PowerShell and then got to Linux PowerShell, uh, for example, in a function and had to remember that everything is case sensitive. <laughs> that burned me quite a while in the first years. <laughs> and you can get that out as well. So that really, it's, it prevents mistakes in like modules and stuff because you know everyone's working in the same environment. Wow, that is so cool. How do you approach uh, like opening up a code space? Is it you have to open up a particular repo or how do you launch a code space to begin working in it? Uh, usually you have a configuration file 
<clears throat> so in your repository, you have a config file uh, and a Docker image, or you use someone else's Docker image. And um, with that, you can just open a code space. You can also open one if you don't have that configuration, but then you just get a blank one and you need to install some stuff. Uh, what you can also do is open one, so a blank one, and there is a setting in the Visual Studio Code menu that says uh, add the right code space. So it will create a config file for you, and you have one for PowerShell, and you have one for PowerShell Azure Functions. Very cool. And I, I guess if people want to get started, we'll send them right to your blog. Yeah, yeah. I've got uh, a few links on there and a few uh, get starting uh, get started guides. Awesome. I'll put those in the show notes. Cool. Now, I think we glossed over a huge thing, which is you were at GitHub Universe. What's going yes. on with that? That's outside of my world. To me, that's super cool. Can you, how'd you, how'd this come onto your platter? What happened there? It was so much fun. It was such a fun conference. I've been a GitHub star for uh, two years now, something like that, year and a half, two years. And of course, everything was virtual. And uh, then a hybrid version of GitHub Universe was announced. And I remembered how cool the virtual version was when they had to go vir virtual. So I was like, okay, I need to be there. <laughs> I need to get there. And I actually got to do a, a Q&A session. So yeah, then I really had to be there. So uh, it was uh, only two days, unfortunately, but it was a really nice setup. Uh, part of it was outside because it was in San Francisco, so the weather was nice. And we did a session on the garden stage. And I mean, it was the atmosphere was really fun. There were fun sessions, and I was really impressed with the whole uh, everything, how it was organized. Sounds amazing. It was really, uh, it's it's a really fun conference, but that's how I knew GitHub. Like it's a fun company. Uh, the stars things are also always really fun. So I know they invest in that kind of stuff. So I was like, yeah, I need to see this in person, and it was really worth it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. It's, it's only two days, just because you can still get so so much in there within two days, yeah. like within any time, like. We're all used to the four days because of Summit, but I think two days is pretty close to the standard for, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm way off in conventions. Yeah, I think three, four days is also nice, but uh, I don't think that's really feasible for something hybrid. Uh, and they, from what I've heard, they did the hybrid really well as well. So everything was recorded and uh, you could follow along. And I also think it's impressive to have a good experience both in the audience and online, because often one of the two needs to uh, back down a little. One of the two is a little less of an experience. But yeah, I can't say uh, for the online experience because I was there, but I felt from what I saw afterwards that it was pretty good. I, I think just in general, uh, online is never going to compete with in-person. There's just no. too much that you're going to miss out for. So they can do as good a job as they can with online, but in-person is almost always going to be better. I'm really sorry to say, because one thing I really like about online is that it's very inclusive and it gives almost everyone a chance where uh, I know I'm very lucky and very privileged to be able to just travel to all these conferences. 
so I do love how inclusive online is, but I'm, I'm not too crazy about the experience, especially after these two years <laughs> that we had to do it. Did you have a chance to go to the uh, Summit EU Minicon, the one that took place online on Gather? I didn't because I was at another conference. <laughs> now, I would say that was one of the better experiences I've ever had at an online conference. So if they do it again, I, I definitely recommend checking it out. We talked to Gail a couple of weeks ago, um, and he shared a little bit that there's some plans to have more of those virtual gatherings. And, and I definitely agree with you about the accessibility. Um, you know, something we, we mentioned a lot on the show is how having a diverse perspective set is very important to solving problems and stuff. And I think that within the community, it's important that we are aware that that same diverse perspective set we need to kind of take into account and appreciate it. And finding the avenues where someone from way across the world without the travel budget or the in, maybe environmental impact of coming to all across the world, um, they are able to be heard and contribute and speak and all things like that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's difficult because um, on one side, you really want to have that experience for everyone. And on the other side, like you said, it can't compete. Yeah. So yeah. I think the gather almost makes it like it's almost a little bit of a video game, I believe you said. So there's, there's yeah. a bit more interaction that way. That thing is really fun. That is really well made, I think, because I missed the mini conf, but we had, it was just a regular meeting, but Gail was like, yeah, come on on the, on the platform. <laughs> and I was walking around with this little dolly thing, like, what's the meet? Where's the meeting? And I got too close to Gail and suddenly I was in a meeting. <laughs> It's very cool. It's a really, and, and I do like that, that we spent those two years like uh, making the most of it. So investments were made to make a nice virtual uh, experience. I always appreciate that. Finding the different ways for the community to get together outside of just physical means. Um, hopefully yeah. we can keep refining those and spread PowerShell all over the world. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've talked to people all over the world. It's there. We just need more people all over the world. There are some countries we haven't hit yet, Jordan. So, prepare. <laughs> but that's the, the thing. The, the pandemic opened our eyes to what is possible instead of what is not possible. I mean, we're now recording a podcast, and I don't know how much space is in between us, but I think it's pretty much. <laughs> it's a couple feet, definitely. <laughs> you mentioned it was night where you're at, and I'm... About lunchtime, so that's that's some time. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and I did the same thing. I have a, a podcast for my company, and I had to do a, a recording while I was in uh, San Francisco. Um, and my co-host was here in the Netherlands, and uh, we just did it like that. And it was for me; it was morning for him; it was evening, and it all worked out. I mean, we wouldn't even cons have considered this like three years ago. Like, yeah, that was never going to work. And now we found out it did. So you mentioned becoming a GitHub, or you're a GitHub star. What yeah. is a GitHub star? I know Chrissy Lemaire is a GitHub star, but what is a GitHub yeah. star? How do you become one? We are the GitHub star spokespersons for PowerShell, really. <laughs> um, the GitHub stars are people who contribute to the community. So kind of like the MVP program, but then for GitHub. And with GitHub, you can contribute by having user groups or by speaking at conferences, but also a big focus on people who write code. 
So who make code available or have big open source projects or uh, create videos uh, courses. So it's really focused on developers and uh, coding and everything around GitHub. So it's relatively new. I think it's like two or three years. It's, no, it's three years old now. So it's relatively new and relatively small. And that makes it a lot of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I didn't realize we booked two GitHub stars back to back. I mean, I'm I'm a little I'm blushing over here. <laughs> Have our very own PowerShell GitHub stars. That's awesome. And I'm looking in the background and on the video feed, I'm seeing two very special guests in the corner <laughs> there. Um, I think it looks like the Octocat from GitHub, and I don't know the name of it, but the Microsoft Doxy, the Docs little yeah, guy. It's the it's a certificate thingy. I don't even know what it's called. They were passing them out at Ignite 2018. I have a thing for uh, uh, stuffed animals related to tech. So I have a Linux Pingwing here and a Badger and... Uh, and I have bits. You can just barely see bits uh, above the, those two. I think there's need to be more stuffed animals related to tech out there. <laughs> so you're done with conference t-shirts. We need conference plushies. Yeah, absolutely. More is better. I thought stickers... I can't keep up with that. I thought stickers were the new thing, but it's plushies. <laughs> if, it, if it's up to me... <laughs> Yeah, I love those things. And the Octocat is really cool. <laughs> yeah, those are like VIP status stuff, I feel like, in the IT world. If you see one of those two, you're like, whoa, they're they're one of me. I like them. Yeah, and you, you can just buy them, you know. They're just in the GitHub store, but <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> Jordan, you're going to come back next week. You're going to see behind. I just have like a ton of animals like, yeah, no, I've been around for a while. <laughs> I, I can go buy them all, but I can guarantee they'd be uh, stolen by children. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so we're talking about GitHub code spaces. Um, and I really appreciate a lot of the improvements and tools that GitHub has kind of created um, over the years. And one of those is a tool called GitHub Copilot. Have you heard of yeah. that? Yeah. I is have GitHub Copilot. GitHub Copilot is an AI tool, uh, and it's your uh, AI for, uh, partner programmer, to say it like that. So what it does is when you type some code or you type a comment, it tries to predict uh, what you want to write after it. So that feels a little bit like PS Readline, but then it can be for blocks of code. And it uses GitHub as its training set. So there's, of course, a lot of code in GitHub, and that's used as a training set. So it will learn from what you do in your code, uh, but it will also learn from what is on GitHub. And I was curious, how is that going to work with PowerShell? Because PowerShell is not the most used language. And one thing we found is that uh, PowerShell gets used wrong a lot. <laughs> it's a very tolerant language. So you can make mistakes and it will still work, uh, which is nice, but not if you're using it as a training set. Um, but actually, because I did some, this is one of the most fun things to do live demos of because you, it's, it has different results every time. But at some levels, it's so impressive. 
like if you create an if loop and then just suggest uh, press a hard return, it will create the else's for you. And it will create a consistent uh, output, for example. So I did some lines where I say, um, get a random number. And then if it is lower than five, return this number is lower than five, something like that. And it will create an else loop uh, itself saying, else it's higher than five. And even if you add an else if in between, it will say it is exactly five. <laughs> So it's stuff like that, especially if you're using loops or something like that, or if you write a comment of what you want to do, it's really impressive. I was really surprised at how good it works. So I guess the, the concern, because you mentioned PowerShell, because it is so agreeable, and so there's a lot of, a lot of code that's not always correct in there, uh, will Copilot eventually just be reinforcing bad behaviors, or will it clean up as the... I guess the base that it pulls from is is cleaned up. I think the the like the the ugly PowerShells we can call it like the one. Yeah, it works, but it's not really pretty. It will keep existing anyway. And what I like if you let it create comments for you, or if you let it create um, the comment help, or if you let it create outputs is that it will be pretty consistent. And that means if you do it with a team, then you get pretty ex consistent scripting, especially with the things that you're usually too lazy to type. So the right host stuff where you, uh, or the right verbose, where you create uh, logs or where you uh, create the comments, the stuff where you don't really feel like it because you feel like being lazy and you don't want to type everything. I think we've all been there. And uh, if you use Copilot, it will type it for you. I've actually, one of the most fun things I did with it, I was giving a workshop on uh, Azure DevOps, uh, GitHub Actions and Bicep, uh, and a little bit of PowerShell, but I wanted to create a resource list so that uh, the students could follow uh, some links if they want to read on. And I created an MD file and it pretty much created it for me. So I made a link format and just said uh, Azure DevOps and it started adding links to Microsoft documentation. And they were all correct. And it was even adding like, do you want something to this specific link as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, they were not all correct. Some of them were like, yeah, this space doesn't exist, but nice try. But that was really impressive. And that did save me a lot of time. Now, when you say that GitHub Copilot's writing things and you're kind of like putting some filler code or kind of outlining things a little bit, do you do all that outlining and then press like a button and it kind of runs and, and fills it for you? Or how does that, how do you trigger GitHub Copilot to actually start writing things for you with what you've put in? Uh, it works the same way as PS Readline, basically. So you start typing and it will uh, take a second to load and then it will show a suggestion. And you can keep typing and then it won't do it. Or you can press tab to complete the suggestion. Or you can look at the other suggestions. Often it has more than one suggestion. So if you're using this, do you have to turn off the predictive sense for PS Readline while doing that? Since they're both will kind of attempt to fill it out or can they both run at the same time? No, PS Readline is, uh, is in the command line. Okay. So in the terminal and uh, Copilot is in the script view in okay. Visual Studio Code. You will sometimes see that the uh, intelligence from the PowerShell um, 
uh, extension will give a bit of an issue because it's like, I also want to autocomplete that you're trying to create write host or write output. Um, but overall, it's not that bad. So okay. they can really work well side by side. Now, when you look to the future of AI and coding and everyone, you know, sometimes you hear people talking about, oh, my job's going to be replaced with a computer. They're going to do the whole thing. From what I'm seeing, it looks like GitHub Copilot is more assistive than it yeah. is a full replacement for someone. Like you mentioned, the code that you don't want to type. Uh, and occasionally yeah. it'll fill out more and maybe give you some useful suggestions. But it it seems like it definitely requires that person there next to it to yeah. put the correct things in. Yeah, it's really like a pair programmer. So, uh, and sometimes it's nice to have that inspiration, like uh, you're typing your code as you used to and giving you complete different way of approaching it. And sometimes it is correct. And you're like, oh, oh, you can also do it like that. Oh, let's keep it like that. And I like that part that it's not always perfect. It's sometimes far from perfect. Sometimes it's not even PowerShell. <laughs> Uh, because some people tend to just use C-sharp in PowerShell scripts, so that happens as well. Um, but it gives you some input while you're coding, and that's fun. I'm genuinely curious about that. So if someone does have C-sharp in the PowerShell, when the Copilot pulls that in, does it also pull in like calling that library within PowerShell, or does it just pull in the library without the, the needed components to get it? Yeah, without the components, because it's it's AI generated, so it's not like it's getting something literally from another repository. But it can also be helpful if you're uh, learning something new. I um, I had uh, some goes at Python, but I don't. Uh, it's not like I can write scripts by heart, but I did write some scripts with Copilot, <laughs> and they actually worked, which was surprising to me as well. <laughs> Wow. So hold up. So as a PowerShell person, like maybe PowerShell is your mm -hmm. first language, you're not a traditional programmer, boom, you know some concepts now. You mentioned if-else loops, maybe some switch stuff, maybe you're familiar with the pipeline uh, and, and understand how programming generally works. It sounds like using Copilot, you'll have a much easier time actually writing something functional in another language. Say you had a one-off JavaScript project that you had to work with or something like that. Yeah, if it's not uh, not too difficult, you can just write comments of what you want to do. And it will often uh, give some suggestions. And even if they're not correct, what I really like is that it's giving you feedback. Like it feels like you're working with some, I would say someone else, but something else. So you're thinking... Usually you're like Googling stuff and like, okay, let's try this one. Let's try this and let's run it and hope it doesn't crash. And now it's like you, you can take out that Google part where you're just like, okay, add a comment. Okay, it's suggesting this. This sounds really good. Let's see what it does. And that makes the experience actually more fun. Jordan, you normally ask the tough questions. I, I kind of want to ask a tough question right now, right in the middle. Let's do um, it. Uh-oh. How long, so you've got to experience, experiment with these tools a little bit, kind of see what AI has to offer as of now. Obviously, things are going to keep improving as we train the data set and 
blah, blah, blah. They get uh, user feedback just like every other product. But I'm asking for a, a gentle prediction. How long do you feel until there's going to be a sense of these types of tools being irreplaceable? Maybe some people will work with the tool at one job for a year and they'll it'll be so part of their workflow that they won't want to move away from it at the next job and change the way that they approach things. Do you think that we're going to find ourselves in a place where these tools are just pretty much part of 80% of someone who's writing codes life? Um, and if so, like, what's the time frame you think? Yeah, I think we can get there pretty quickly because um, you don't have to ask me to write uh, code without Visual Studio Code at this point. I actually, um, if you ask me to do stuff in uh, ISE now, I'll probably get confused because I'm used to my extensions and used to the tools that the PowerShell extension gives you, even without Copilot or without all this fancy stuff. Yeah, I'm used to Visual Studio Code now. And I want to write my code in there. And you're used to autocomplete and stuff like that. So yeah, I think you get used to it pretty quickly and that you sort of need it to do your stuff. but then again, yeah, our life bec lives became a little bit easier. <laughs> so I'm not sure if that's that much of a problem. And I think you get the experience anyway. So an AI tool might take longer. I don't know if that will become irreplaceable because I still see that as helpful. But uh, you do learn the language and you still have Google. So you can do it without. It will just take longer. I I'm going to say if you can't, read or follow along with what the AI is recommending, you you're probably need to spend some more time in the basics first anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I, I don't want to be that as a negative. It means there's just, maybe that's a tool that comes after a little bit more practice. Yeah, and you, you do have to be critical. It's AI, it can be very, very wrong. <laughs> it could be a security risk too, if you just run things from any source that you're not kind of understanding what they do. Definitely yeah. could be some challenges there. Never do that in production, people. Yeah. <laughs> Please. You know, the thing is, is so many people get started out in PowerShell by doing that very thing. So, hey, if you're out there just copy and pasting every single answer you see on the internet uh, to whatever <laughs> problem, one at a time, just going through them, it's okay. I'm glad you found PowerShell. You're at the right place. Let's take it to the next level and kind of <laughs> understand what's going on. <laughs> know, know what you're running is important because if you, uh, if you throw it out there, people can get mean. If uh, you just run, say, oh, run this, it'll fix it. No, <laughs> never do it. Never do it. <laughs> All just a joke. <clears throat> I love running stuff and finding out what it does, but you do it in development. So you do it outside of your local computer. If you can, use a code space and uh, make sure it's not connected to, uh, to production in any way. And run everything you see and see what happens because it's such a fun way to learn stuff. And I remember how I uh, once uh, deleted a complete folder from my computer because I thought I uh, I thought I had like child item and I had item or something like that. And I was really happy that I was testing this on my local computer and not on the production file server that I was actually supposed to run on. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> It happened to every one of us, and it's fun. It's fun to see, oh, this doesn't work. And then you learn, yeah, you're never getting that back. <laughs> I, make, I make that joke, but I have uh, someone I work with that uh, he's very good at PowerShell, and he asked me to test some code for him. In the middle of it, I decided, oh, I need to back out. I don't have time to test this right now. 
and there was no graceful back out and i deleted everything i could delete out of my uh system 32 so my computer was and and so i went back he's like well this happened he's like and and he had some uh critiques on the way that i chose to to run it but that that was on me right i decided to back out and instead of doing anything graceful i'll just uh delete the script and cancel out and uh I learned my lesson there. That was someone that I trusted that wasn't even trying to be malicious. And uh, that was a new install of my machine. <laughs> but I mean, everyone has those stories and it's a fun thing to do. Uh, as long as it's yeah, in your machine, it's already, you probably weren't laughing that much at that point. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it, I wasn't as mad as I could be, especially when it was my mistake. Like, if he had done it maliciously, I probably would have been a bit grumpier about it. But where it was my mistake, because <laughs> there's nothing malicious in his code. And we we learned to put a nice, uh, you know, protections in there for that specific scenario. So it all worked out. It was a successful QA, I'll call it. <laughs> if things go haywire, it, at the very least, it'll make a good story when you join us on the PowerShell podcast. If you're out here <laughs> listening, just the more catastrophic the story, the better it, it tells later over over beer or whatever. So absolutely, as long as you learn stuff. But still, if you can, yeah. don't do this in production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's. I think that it's very important to have good habits uh, if, in terms of security and like not making mistakes like that. Like you have to just have the habit of never doing things that way and have the habit of checking things consistently. And if you can't, you know, you're going to have to get your manager's approval or get some kind of CYA. At least that's the way I try and approach uh, my career with IT. It's like, I'm trying to not be on the end of causing financial harm to the business when I can and instead put the pressure on the systems that we're working in and like those checks and balances to make sure things don't go haywire. Yeah, now, wise words. <laughs> I want to go back a little bit and kind of understand your story because you mentioned you're into PowerShell, some Azure. I believe you mentioned some infrastructure as code. Yeah. Um, how did those all play together? Because I think there's some overlap there with using PowerShell, with mm -hmm. automation, with doing things efficiently and the way you approach them. Where did they all tie in for you? And, and when did you start using infrastructure as code? Uh, well, it all started when I started working in Azure instead of on an on-prem environment. And this was pretty long time ago when we started out with Azure. I think we had just said goodbye to the standard Azure and just got into Azure Resource Manager. When uh, I started working like exclusively with Azure pretty much, yeah, we had some on-premises machines, but most of it was Azure. And... Uh, we were always automating stuff. I did that long before that. I always felt like if I do something daily, then I'm going to write a script to do it for me. And with the time I'm saving, I'm going to write another script for another daily task until I have nothing left to do. That was like uh, my goal. And I got to that goal with some of my customers. It was really cool. And I, I got into an environment that already exists and they already had infrastructure as code. So uh, it was like, yeah. You have to uh, roll along with it. And we didn't have pipelines or anything. We're deploying everything locally because, like I said, Azure DevOps was not a web service yet. So it was not that approachable at that par point. So we did a lot of it just local deployment and we made a lot of mistakes and we had a lot of fun with it. And uh, we did save a lot of time. And uh, especially with Azure, it was so much fun to... Uh, find more efficient ways to do stuff. 
And I remember we had a server setup that uh, was built through infrastructure as code. And when we needed an update, we just created a new machine. And we had to uh, do some stuff with the disks and that took a long time. And it was an eight hour process all in all. Uh, not something that we needed to, to stand by, but uh, it took eight hours for all the files to get in the right place. So uh, not like we had to do it, but it, the, it uh, was always bothering uh, production because that was a long time downtime. And I remember we did some things and I got it down to four minutes. And stuff like that was so incredibly cool. Like we could say to people, hey, your downtime window, remember when we said, yeah, this day you can't use the product? It's now uh, during your lunch break. And we don't even need that whole lunch break. But we, we did the updates during your lunch breaks. And how cool is that kind of stuff? Wow. So you're just there all hanging out one day and you're just like, I did barber things and the time <laughs> went down from eight hours to four minutes. Just did a couple things. No These biggie. are the things I get so excited about. This is the times when I'm behind my desk and I'm smiling ear to ear and I'm like, everyone, look, look what I did. Look how quick it goes. Look, it's already done. <laughs> That's a huge time increase. Yeah, a big fan of the, the series of things Josh King did where he talks about, like he breaks down how long it takes to run certain commands and everything. So even within that, you can actually cut more, more time down because the faster it runs, in my opinion, almost always is, is better. Absolutely. And this was the time where uh, Azure Functions really didn't support PowerShell. Yeah, you had the experimental languages fiasco. I really don't think we should talk about it anymore. Uh, but you couldn't do it in PowerShell Functions. So I remember we did everything in automation accounts. Uh, and we were really proud when we got rid of our scripting server because we got everything from the scripting server, even the stuff that was on-prem. We could get into the automation accounts, yeah. And then functions became a thing and you got a whole new challenge. Like they keep feeding you cool stuff to work with. It's like they want our money. <laughs> what oh, do you mine. think of Azure? <laughs> like the whole thing. What do you think of the future of Azure? How much better, how much better is the admin slash user experience going to get over the years? Um, you know, as someone who spends a lot of time in the space, have you seen it improve? over the years or get more complex or what's what's your take on it? It's both. You see it's growing and it's, um, it's a very large platform and there are more than 200 services out there that all need to be managed and all need to be some kind of consistent. And you can see that it's a struggle sometimes, especially with Azure PowerShell. We've seen that a few times where the command lines aren't always consistent, but you see that they work hard on it they really want it to be consistent and uh, i think there are some really cool things coming up that really need to start hitting uh, general availability soon and yeah then it's gonna get better and better stuff like uh like what happened with bicep and i remember when bicep first came out i was working with uh, arm templates i was very skeptical I was like, yeah, ARM templates are fine. It's never going to be this good until I touched it and I was hooked. <laughs> I was like, oh, wait, this is so much easier to use. And they keep bringing new kind of stuff like that. And I think still the most important part, on one side, it's hard because there's new stuff coming every day. So really have to keep up. 
but you're never you're never going to get bored. IT is one of those things where if you ever get locked into this is the way it's always going to be, you will be left behind at some point. Check the release notes because it has changed. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, how, how much fun do we get to work with? I think we're really oh blessed with the new stuff keeping up. Always an opportunity to learn, which is, is kind of nice. I, I wish I appreciated the opportunities to learn when I was younger. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, learn. I'd like the opportunity to have fun. You mentioned VS Code being part of your tool set. That's one mm -hmm. thing I'm very excited about is to have great tools and extensions that I can use for my career. And it's such an accepted tool. You can pretty much any workplace you go to, people are going to be using VS Code. You're going to be able to continue using your suite of tools, many of which are just fun. If you like technology and you like computers, they're just fun. You can type and have explosions go off. You can yeah. get any color you want. You can any did language. You see the, the Doom extension. Oh, I did not. Do we need to put something in the show notes here? This yeah, is Doom I don't remember the name, but uh, and I I'm shamefully don't remember who mentioned it at the PowerShell conference Europe last year. Uh, but it's like a thing that the more mistakes you have in your code, the bloodier the guy gets. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> That's and amazing. of course, uh, VS Code pets. Yeah, VS Code pets. But that is a mandatory. I I, I pedal yeah. that everywhere I can. Everyone needs that. Yeah, big credits to Mark Duiker. He created uh, a few of them. He didn't create the extension, but he created uh, Clippy within the extension, and just everything that gets Clippy gets better. Like, like I say, based on your Twitter background, is that your most common VS pet? Is Clippy because Clippy's got a skateboard on VS Code pets. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. So like uh, I hope in the show notes you can credit who actually created it because I shamefully also don't know his name. <laughs> we have a link in the show notes. We will have it there. If you want to have a bloody face appear as you make mistakes, yeah. <laughs> we found the plugin for you. The extension <laughs> is waiting. It's free. I'm a walking mistake. I love the fact that someone came up with that and thought, yeah, I'm going to create that. <laughs> the world needs this. I think it's funny because it highlights we all make mistakes. It's funny. It's annoying how it's like, why isn't this working? But it's such a common experience that it's just, it's nice to have a laugh about it sometimes. <laughs> Can I ask a question about Azure? What yeah. in the course of Azure or your ex experience with Azure is the... Um, feature or the service, I should say, that really opened up your eyes and you had the most fun with. You know, you mentioned with PowerShell, people get excited whenever they have that kind of light bulb moment and kind of figure out automation. Have there been any Azure services that have really opened up your eyes or excited you? Yeah, is Azure Functions too easy? It's the uh, one I was I'm... thinking of, but I was, I don't know if you have anything else out there. I love oh. Azure Functions. It's really, uh, yeah, because Azure Functions, to me, it opened up uh, a way of working that I hadn't done before. Like, you, I was used to scripts going from A to Z, like uh, chronological, walking through a bunch of steps. And it became like three-dimensional because of functions. 
like they can run in parallel and you can have them call each other. So if someone is like from an IT pro background and haven't worked with functions yet, that's one of the greatest things you can get with functions. You get an application workflow. So that's one really cool thing. I am still impressed with the governance tools that are available in Azure. And I know that's not Kodi stuff. So um, people might get less excited, but I'm still impressed with like the Microsoft Defender for Cloud, where it's like, here, this is what you're doing wrong. And sometimes I'm like, people, I need to be able to help people with this. You don't have to make it too easy. Otherwise, they don't need me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think you're very fair to highlight that because earlier with my question about Azure and the future of it, uh, a big thing that I see a problem that needs to be solved or could be solved if they kind of can figure out the best way to deliver this is security to teams and companies that aren't well talented. Like they don't have a yeah. huge staff, but because of all these insights and they've refined it and they've taken feedback over the years, you are able to get a, a pretty secure-ish setup pretty easily like almost like a template right we're talking as code you know sort of yeah. you can enable some things to get some great insight yeah and then again uh, azure is very approachable so it's also very easy to get it wrong <laughs> so then i know i'll still have a job <laughs> oh yeah just like with the ai github copilot thing like yeah, yeah there's very assistive tools that can take a lot of the Work you don't want to do, all the grunt work out, the if and the else's, but you'll still have to be there for the configuration settings, uh, the yeah. the little kind of things where things always go wrong. We've we've been working in tech for a while. It doesn't always work. You know, well, we're needed. Don't worry. Well, computers insist on doing exactly what you tell them to, not always what you want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that's that's the quote of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Or photon beams, I think sometimes, you know, you might just get a, a random beam from space that, that messes up your computer. I'll just retry. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, gosh, if I, since I know that that's an actual thing, I've been just wondering, like, it's like something's going wrong. I'm like, is this one of those times? Is this a photon beam? Just... Is it me? No, it must be the universe. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> nope. That's a little I want to be too. If something doesn't work, it's like, well, there must have been extra photons. It's never... <laughs> Clearly, my code is perfect. <laughs> All right, well, I, th I think we've come to the point that uh, everyone dreads the, the common parameters. We're going to ask you three questions that are incredibly difficult, each one more difficult than the last. Uh, <laughs> are, are you ready to try to tackle this uh, daunting task? Yeah, I'm sitting tight. All right. uh, what's one time something went wrong on the job, and how did you handle it? What'd you learn? Okay, so this has absolutely nothing to do with PowerShell. I'm gonna say that before we start. Um, the thing is, I uh, I used to work as system administrator for a few years, and I was always very careful in my work. I'm one of the people that double checks, triple checks, checks too much. Like. Uh, I really, for example, I really hate scripts that delete stuff because I'm worried they're doing it wrong. So I'll do it manually, stuff like that. I'm always just a bit too worried. And I was working in an environment where uh, I had a server and uh, it needed to make connection with another server and was not working. This was in Hyper-V environments. That's how long ago this is. 
<clears throat> and it wasn't working. And I was trying stuff out to get that connection running. And I did the thing where you say, okay, on the Windows firewall, allow all traffic temporarily to see if that's the problem. So you allow all traffic, and if it works, then it's somewhere in the firewall and you can fix it there. So I allowed all traffic and it still wasn't working. Okay. And then I had some sort of brain fart somewhere where I thought, you know what I should do? I should block all traffic. And then the RDP connection lost. <laughs> I lost my RDP and I couldn't reach the server anymore. And this was a production server, which a lot of people were using at that point. And I had just cut all connections. And it was really that moment where you click that button. So you're clicking stuff, you click that button and your life flashes before in front of your eyes. And you're like, no, what did I do? What did I do? And I was like, okay, the crowd is coming, gonna come up and say, oh no, what did you do? So I logged into the Hyper-V server to connect from there so I could unblock it all again. And I logged into the server in that panic and I was like, uh, I checked the firewall and everything was what it was supposed to be. So it allowed only certain connections. I was like, what's going on? I, I just blocked this. And then I learned that I had blocked all traffic on the wrong server. I was working on the management server instead of on the production server that I was supposed to be working on. So I actually had two wrongs made a right. <laughs> I, made, I made a mistake and fixed it with my other mistake or made it less bad. So um, I added the traffic to my management server again, because that's kind of handy. And the one thing I learned there, this was so atypical for me. This was not what I usually do. And it was pretty much the end of the day. And I was like, I'm not in a state to work on the servers. I must be tired. There must be something wrong because this is not how I usually work. Usually I double check everything. So this was a time for me to say, I'm too tired to keep going like this. And uh, it was the end of the day. So it's not like I quit the day job at, 10 in the morning, but I was, um, I got the traffic going again to the management serving. I shut my computer down and I went home because I was like, okay, it's been enough because this is not how I usually work. Apparently I'm either tired or stressed and we're going to stop focusing on this. And I got back the day after and fixed it within minutes because it was not that hard, but I had been focusing on it far too long, but I think it's such an important uh, concept to realize when you're tired or when you're stressed and what influence that can have on your job and on things that normally are very easy for you or where you would normally double check. So yeah. that was my lesson to be careful of how am I feeling? Am I focused? Uh, yeah, am I no still to take a break is yeah. Support. Am I in a good state? Apparently I wasn't. <laughs> so, so based on that, where you don't actually delete things i'm going to assume you're a big fan of the what if within yes. powershell <laughs> and you know the thing is um for years i'm getting better but for years i didn't trust what if really <laughs> because what if people can make their own modules and they don't always do it right and i've heard stories from people using modules and using what if and it would still do the changes because it was wrongly created in the module so I would always create my own what if where the, the thing, the line that actually performed the action, I would have a right host that would say what action would have been performed and first run that. 
I'm a bit on the extreme side. I realize that. <laughs> so I, have a, I have a good friend that couldn't progress well in PowerShell until he learned about what if because he just was so nervous about running anything. So it's 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 a big hurdle to get past. There's nothing wrong with being cautious. So it's nice that it's it's there though. Yeah, what if it's really there. helpful? And overall, it works. Just be careful if people have if you have small modules that you might not know who created even big modules. It will probably always be correct. So uh, then if, you shouldn't worry. Just use what if, and uh, it will tell you what will happen before you actually delete a lot more than you wanted to. <laughs> yep. If you are writing your own modules and you're trying to get people to actually use your tools at your company or whatever internally, I highly recommend from day one, your set commands, your saves, whatever. If you're making a change, add confirm and what if support to it. Yeah. Um, supports should process, I believe, is the thing you have to add. But yeah. it, it goes a long way. I can tell you what, from my experience with when you're teaching other people how to use your tools, if you show them that and you can empower them that with that, you can one, get people who are afraid of change to be more comfortable and two, get management to feel okay if they're having troubles thinking like, oh, we can automate everything and it's dangerous and you know, it can add a little bit of safeguarding. Yeah, absolutely. There are a few blog posts who really explain it well, how you can do that. Question one down. It just gets difficult, though. Are you ready? For question right. two. This is where yeah. most people actually quit. So if you're, if you, uh, with what you know now, what's one tip you would give your younger self when you were first starting in IT? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Well, for me um, personally, like I said, I uh, when I started blogging, I last last bit I had the imposter syndrome, and I think uh, that was something that I had all along. And actually, when because I started out in the service desk, and then I did a track where I was learning uh, Surfer 2012 R2, the good old days. And the teacher actually became my mentor after that. His name is Sander Berghauer, and he has been my uh, mentor getting uh, growing up in IT. And he at one point said to me, you are able to do so much more than you realize. And that was such an important lesson for me. That was the first time someone said, uh, hey, you know, you're going to make it, right? Like someone believed in me so much and was like, okay, Maybe I can really do this stuff. And I didn't think I could. I didn't think I was that good. It's a, it's a double boost because you get the someone really believes in you, but also now you want to go out and prove them right. So it's like a double motivation yeah. almost from one line. And this is something I hope everyone gets at one point in their career. Someone who sees what they're capable of. Or if you can give yourself that to believe in yourself, like, yeah, I can make it. And I can uh, be, uh, I can become really become bigger in this, uh, in my job and what I do. And uh, yeah, for me, that was really helpful. And uh, I got it very early, thankfully. But the time before that, I felt like, okay, I'm just doing stuff and uh, people aren't complaining. So probably it's good. But yeah. And he was the first one who was like, yeah, you are capable of a lot and uh, you're really going to do this stuff. 
also my tip by the way for people who are more experienced and you see younger people who you think are really capable tell them at some point let them know like hey you're doing really cool stuff and i think you can get really far because it means a lot <laughs> yes yeah, try to remember the the validation you got from it you got an opportunity to yeah. pass it down that's that's fantastic advice yeah this is the last question, and this one's difficult because there are so many possible answers. But what are your three favorite modules? Oh man, I feel like I have to. Oh, I feel like I have to do a get module now to see what I'm actually using because that's the thing—you get so used to modules just being there. <laughs> um. Yeah, the, the love or hate relationship is also always with the AZ module, of course. Because, uh, yeah, it empowers me to do everything that I do, more or less. But it's also a big monster. <laughs> Especially if you try to install it all. <laughs> well, installing it all uh, takes a while, but let's try to update it all. <laughs> then we're going to have a lot of fun. Tip of the day, you can install parts of Azure. For the people who don't know that, AZ, you don't have to install the whole beast. You can also install just the stuff that you need. Uh, the same thing goes for the, the Graph API module. Love or hate relationship, because it's also a beast. And it's not very consistent with the rest of PowerShell, but it's so useful to do stuff in graph without having a script full of info invoke rest methods yeah i think uh graph still i mean by module 10 it's still relatively new as well right like it's replacing a different module i believe yeah it's replacing the pretty much the azure ad module because the azure ad module uh, uh used basic authentication and azure ad graph has been stopped so uh, that's been retired. So it needed a new way to go. And a lot of it is generated. And the good thing about it being generated is that it's always up to date. And the bad thing is that it's not always consistent with what you expect PowerShell to do. So that's a bit of a learning curve. But uh, I recently uh, used Bicep and PowerShell to create a lab environment. I had a bunch of students who I was giving a workshop to and I was like, Okay, I want them all to have a small lab environment, and I made that all with Bicep and then the Graph API module, so the Graph module. And then it works so quickly, so if it's working, it's the best tool. And now I need one more, right? Uh, I mean, each one of your modules is like 12 modules, so if you want to say you did overkill, that's good too. But if you want one more, we're always happy to hear them. <laughs> <laughs> I've just added like 50 modules, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm honestly just, just running an install get installed module now and it's taking too long because I have so many modules <laughs> is, uh, is, is Pester allowed as a module? absolutely if you use it yeah, yeah. I think um, uh, Pester I find that even people who are working with PowerShell for a long time are not using Pester and I understand that because it's difficult if you're not from uh, a developer background and it can take some time to get used to it and i still struggle sometimes so i understand that people are like okay never mind because this is taking too much time and it's just for testing and it will probably work but if you have it set up it saves so much time 
when you're changing your code later. Because all the tests are done then automated. And really just for that, it's it's really worth it to invest time into Pester and learn how it works. So yeah, that these are kind of the the modules you would expect. But uh, yeah, I do think they are really great modules. I mean, if you expect them, there's a reason. It's because they're great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pester is one of the ones that probably requires the biggest mindset change. But it's an important change. Sorry? The pester is probably the one that comes with the biggest mindset change where yeah. you have to uh, change, approach things differently, but it's it's worthwhile in the long run. It's just, you got to spend the time in it. And I will recognize it sometimes can be frustrated when you're not used to it. And you will find that you actually need to change your code to be able to test it right uh, at some point. And uh, I've been in the circles of frustration and thinking of giving up. But if you have set up good pester tests, it saves so much time. Uh, with developing your code onwards. So yeah, I do recommend give it a go, see if you can get into it. Definitely worth the time. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, uh, but they actually at one point had an AI for shilling, uh, but the only result it would ever get was, I don't know, ask Andrew, because not even AI can build upon you know, the, the great works he has out there. So <laughs> right now you get the opportunity to watch someone so advanced in his class that not even AI can keep up. I take it, Andrew. Friends, thank you for listening. And thanks to the GitHub star of the show, Barbara <laughs> Forbes, for joining us. We're honored to have you. If you like this episode, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you're watching on YouTube, Give us a little thumb and a comment telling us what your favorite language is. And bonus points if you say PowerShell. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at PowerShellPod, or um, you can email us at PowerShell at PDQ.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you're starting a new blog, getting started in PowerShell, send us an email. We'll send you a t-shirt, send you on your way. Thank you for spending the time to talk to us. Barbara, this was fantastic. There's a lot of information to digest on this one. So hopefully yeah. people... People uh, start diving in. I, mean, I think we need a pester episode. Probably soon, yeah. And you need to ask Jacob. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for joining the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. The only device of its kind in the world. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com. <laughs>